Okay, well, I am not Jeremy Moretz. Jeremy was going to be teaching this morning, but um, last, last night he started feeling ill. So, no, David stepped in to serve running sound. Is that, was it Jeremy? Was Jeremy yeah. Sound? yeah. And I'm stepping in to, do, to uh, do the Sunday school class. I'm also preaching this morning. So, at, I think it was at 9 o'clock or something last night when we got the, the text. It was like, we're just going to walk through it together. I'm not, I'm, I, I read through it, but that, that's the extent of it. Um, so, we're just going to kind of walk through uh, art, articles 14 through 17 this morning together and talk about it as we go. Before we start, is there anyone who needs these? Because we did get more in. Or even if it's a couple that just would like to. Okay, so if you are just joining us for this class, we're walking through this uh, statement on Christology that Ligonier put out, uh, when was that, 2016, I think, yeah, 2016, and um, basically it's one of those things where the church throughout the years uh, has, you know, has put out confessions and catechisms. Um, there, it's, it's kind of very, very normal for, that the church has had these things, especially if you look up, if you look up different catechisms. So, you know, there's so many different catechisms. Um, generally speaking, what will happen is a... A uh, certain denomination will attach themselves to a certain core confession and, and catechism, um, but that doesn't mean they disagree with the others. It's, they're just saying we can fully affirm this one. And so we think of uh, maybe the, the Presbyterian Church that in general uh, would hold to the Westminster Confession of Faith and the Westminster Larger and Shorter Catechism. That sort of thing. We hold to the London Baptist Confession of Faith, which we're going to be starting a class on that in uh, January, kind of walking through that, re- reminding ourselves of the, the truths that we, that we hold to as a church. Uh, so it's, it's not, it's lately, it's not as common for new confessions or catechisms to come out, but every once in a while as the church sees need for clarification, uh, people something might be put out. Um, there's a, um, out of the Reformed camp, there's even a, conf- uh, a new catechism on, I don't know, I forget exactly what it's called, but catechism on sexuality that's been published within the last year, year or two. Um, but Ligonier put this together, the Word Made Flesh, it's a, their statement on Christology, just clarifying what we believe about Jesus Christ, and then as we walk through the articles, you'll see denials about what we, the things that we don't believe, and a lot of those are, are commonly held, or once were commonly held, um, errors. So before we start, I just want to read through something here really quick. Danny, last week, walked us through this section kind of on Christ's humiliation, What's, what, when we talk about Christ's humiliation, what are some of the things we're talking about there? He became a little lower than the angels. He became a little lower than the angels. You, you read Philippians 2, and there's that very clear picture of humbling, right? Of taking on... Uh, the like the the flesh of his creatures that he'd be uh, I think our our translation ESV probably says became a servant and that can be translated slave just kind of give that that picture of, of this great humiliation of the creator taking on uh, the the frailties and weaknesses the flesh of his of his creature what else flashlight is off let me know if you want to turn it I would kind of agree with the flashlight, but not really. <laughs> the humiliation of the cross itself. Yeah. Absolutely. Definitely. 
So the humiliation, it's that taking on flesh, putting, being born under the law, as we see in Galatians, kind of detail that, Galatians 4, up to the, the cross, to suffer and die. And you know, we see, um, I think it's uh, Deuteronomy that mentions the, that anyone who hangs on a tree is cursed. And Paul brings that back up in Galatians. So Christ became a curse for us. We think of that. You know, that's humiliation. He who knew no sin became sin for us, so that we might become the righteousness of God. Yeah. So yeah, the cross. Obviously, the cross led to his death. It being his uh, burial, and then remaining dead until Sunday morning. This morning, we're going to be, in the articles we're going to look at, we're going to uh, look mostly at his exaltation. Before we do that, I want to just read uh, a very familiar passage for us, Isaiah 53. Isaiah 53, oftentimes our mind goes to the humiliation, but there is, as you read through the entirety of it, it points toward his exaltation as well. So Isaiah 53, I'm just going to read the whole chapter. Who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. I'm saying he's pierced for our transgressions, not his own. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that, was, that is led to the slaughter and like a sheep that before its shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment, he was taken away. And as for, as for, this, as, as for his generation, who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgressions of my people. And they made his grave with the wicked, and with a rich man in his death, although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. This is resurrection language here. He shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. That's the beauty of the resurrection. It's, I think we, someone brought this up last week in, in our class, is the resurrection is that like stamp of approval. Like all of what Jesus Christ has done is so perfect and holy and good and so satisfying to, to God that the, even the grave could not hold him. He rose from the dead. So out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous. Justification. I love Isaiah 53 and passages like this in the Old Testament because you really see the continuity of Scripture. The gospel is not a New Testament thing. The gospel is proclaimed from Genesis 3.15 on. <clears throat> By his knowledge shall a righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore I will divide him a portion with the many, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bore, our sin, uh, bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. So just kind of something to celebrate as we kind of dig into dig into these individual articles. I think I, I, as, I, as I read these things, I, I have a desire to worship. And I think it's just important to kind of have that, that heart attitude of 
worship as we come before uh, these great truths. Let's, let's uh, read through the actual statement together, which is found on page three. We've been trying to make a practice of this. I had the first two stanzas memorized, and I have not touched it this week. <laughs> but let's go ahead, and it's, I know it's kind of an awkward exercise to read something all together, but it's a good kind of awkward. Mm-hmm. Okay. Starting at the beginning, we'll go all, all the way to the amen. We confess the mystery and wonder of God made flesh and rejoice in our great salvation through Jesus Christ our Lord. With the Father and the Holy Spirit, the Son created all things, sustains all things, and makes all things new. Truly God, he became truly man, two natures in one person. He was born of the Virgin Mary and lived among us crucified, dead, and buried. He rose on the third day, ascended to heaven, and will come again in glory and judgment. For us, he kept the law, atoned for sin, and satisfied God's wrath. He took our filthy rags and gave us his righteous robe. He is our prophet, priest, and king, building his church, interceding for us, and reigning over all things. Jesus Christ is Lord. We praise his holy name forever. Amen. Amen. Okay, so go ahead and turn over to Article 14, which is on page 12. And we're going to be working uh, just through uh, 14, 15, 16, and 17 this morning. And again, um, I'm filling in. So this is going to be more of a, a little bit more of a group discussion. So I want you... As you, as, as you have thoughts uh, about these things that we're talking about, just jump right in. Uh, let me read Article 14. We affirm that in his state of exaltation, Jesus Christ is the first fruits of the resurrection, that he has conquered both sin and death, and that in union with him, we too will be, resur- will be resurrected. We deny that the glorified resurrected body of Jesus Christ was a wholly different body from the one that was laid in the garden tomb. We deny that our resurrection is merely a resurrection of our spirits apart from our bodies. Uh, someone read, uh, a lot of these verses are kind of, the, the first verse is fully uh, typed out for us. The 1 Corinthians 15, 20, and 55 down there at the bottom of the sheet. But now Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who are asleep. And then 55. Yes. O death. Where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? Mm. It's like, we don't have time to read the whole passage, but I love the, the, whole, the whole passage. And the, the um, ESV captures that language well with, uh, uses the word fact. You know, but in fact, Christ has been raised. And it's just the, that beautiful argument that Paul's laying out of the historicity of resurrection. Like, this is an actual event that happened in history that that our savior died and rose from the dead we saw him die and we and he rose from the dead and there's so many even present with us eyewitnesses to these facts that you can go and talk to at the time of this writing so it's it's a beautiful thing and then just that that stands at the end um yeah, death is swallowed up in victory of death. Where is your victory of death? Where is your sting? It's a taunt. And death is being taunted. That's just, that's just really cool. So what about that? We, that? First looking at the affirmation, we affirm that in his state of exaltation, Jesus Christ is the first fruits of the resurrection. What, is, what stands out about that? First fruits. What does that mean? Isn't that what? Well, 
He's the first. There's got to be others coming. You're going <laughs> to number them. So that's probably us. He's the first. And the ones that have already gone. But also that he's the first. A, a resurrection that means he never has to die again. And we don't either. That's a good point because what about Lazarus? What about the other people that he raised from? Mm-hmm. Those people eventually die again. They die. Mm-hmm. And then their real resurrection happens. Yeah. That's the beauty. I, I think every time I've taught the, taught the resurrection with kids, I bring up people like Lazarus. It's like, you know, Lazarus was raised from the dead, this miraculous event. He stunk, and yet he comes out in, in his grave clothes, and they have to unravel him, and he lived. But eventually, Lazarus died. And this is why, and soon we're going to talk about the ascension. Christ rose from the dead, didn't live among people just to die again, but lived among them for them to see him raised up in glory, never to die again. He's defeated it. Death, where is your victory of death? Where is your sting? The first, this picture of first fruits is the, the, the picture of a seed being planted and kind of the idea of before it starts to grow, this, the seed kind of dies. It dies and then new growth comes, sprouts out of it. And what, what comes and bears fruit, those, those, those are the first fruits. So as, as we said, Christ is the first fruits. He, he rose from the dead, never to die again, and we get to share uh, in that resurrection. So then what kind of resurrection is it? Um, it says that he has conquered both sin and death. Okay. Well, let's talk about that. He conquered sin and death. Devin, do you still sin? Yes. We still die. Larry, you're well aware of that. Yep. Well aware of death. So what and what how can we say that Jesus Christ conquered sin and death if we still are constantly struggling with sin and death is an ever present reality? For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life of Jesus Christ our Lord. We all still have to pay the wages of sin temporally in our bodies. Unless we're those who are uh, translated, but for the most part, everyone still has to die. But um, is it, uh, it is appointed unto man once to die, and then comes the judgment, and thereby the resurrection as well. And what does Paul say about death? <clears throat> You're dead, and then what? What? You're, you're, oh, yeah. there, there's a holding, body. there's a holding place, right? Yeah. Purgatory, maybe? No. no. We don't believe in purgatory. <laughs> what, what happens immediately? Present with the Lord. Absent from the body, present with the Lord. Now, it's uh, one of the, um, I think it's the uh, Westminster Larger Catechism. And the Shorter Catechism says this, actually. It's this beautiful language about even our body, though dead and rotting and decaying in the grave, is still united to Christ. So we are present with the Lord, and yet our body is still united with Christ, awaiting the resurrection. Is that the difference between the body and the soul? Yeah. Yeah. And that's what we're, we're as we'll go on in this confession, that's what we're waiting is for that, that perfect reunion where all is made new, and we were we our body and soul and that that creation that we were meant to be, that glorified creation. So he has conquered both sin and death. This again for that is like yes we die, but the the Bible for for those who are in Christ, every, every, all the language is is eternal life. Everyone has an etern- eternity ahead of them. <clears throat> Only those in Christ move on to eternal life. It's never said, it's never called eternal life for those who die outside of Christ, who are damned to hell. There's there's a positive aspect of eternal life. Um, We're told that our lives as believers, that we live uh, an abundant life. This, that's kind of this, that picture of, of eternal life is that it's something that we're looking forward to, something that's glorious 
and wonderful rather than suffering the wrath of God in all eternity. Um, and that in union with him, we too will be resurrected. And we've, we've already kind of talked about that. Uh, but that, that, be- that beautiful idea that because we are united to Christ, we too get to look forward to the resurrection that is ours. So there, I, I think, you know, Courtney and I were talking uh, last night and this morning about assurance. And there's, there are people who don't struggle with assurance at all. Uh, they are completely, like, they, they say, I can't remember the last time I ever had any doubt. I know I'm good. And then there's others who struggle with assurance. Uh, and someone who admitted that recently, that I heard recently, J.V. Fesco, this, this great, this theologian that, uh, out of, I believe it's um, RTS, Reformed Theological Seminary, he just, I love his mind. He knows the words so well. I love hearing him. And he says, I struggle with assurance. He says, my wife doesn't. My wife's like, what's your problem? And he's like, but it's, you know, we, people struggle with these things in different ways. We, as believers, have no need to fear death. But we, we do, right? There, there's, a, there's a little bit of that kind of instinct in us even of, of protecting ourselves, which is wise. We shouldn't throw ourselves into harm's way. But there, there's that place where, yeah, we fear death. We fear the unknown. Um, there's, I think, I uh, I share a little bit, this, again, differences with Courtney, with a married couple, and I'll use Courtney and I here. I'm, I, I look forward so much to the new heavens and new earth and just the wonder and the mystery of all that that will be. Courtney is more like, has this fear of the unknown. Like, yes, that all sounds wonderful about what I read, but I still don't know exactly what that might, might look like. And there's a fear of an unknown. And that's fine. And that's why, that's why our salvation, no matter what, doesn't depend on the, um, the strength of our faith. Even weak faith saves. This is that beautiful picture that D.A. Carson talks about with the Passover, right? That one guy, both, both, both families painted the, the doorpost with blood and went through the whole Passover ceremony. And the one is like, oh, what's going to happen? And the other's like, what do you mean? Moses told us this is going to happen. As long as the blood's on there, the angel of the Lord is going to pass over us. Our house will be fine. I know, but what if? And all these things. And at the end of the story, he's like, well, which house, which house was spared? Both. Both. Because it wasn't the, the, it wasn't the strength of the one head of household that saved the family. And it wasn't the weakness of the one head of household. It was the blood of the lamb over the, house, over the doorpost that saved them. It's not the strength of our faith. It's the object of it's our faith. It's the object of our faith. So, so even with this truth, I think it's important for us as um, Christians just to realize, yeah, there's going to be some of us who are like, oh, I can't, I can't wait. Come, Lord Jesus, come. And others of us are like, yeah, I'm just a little nervous about that. You know, I don't know exactly how that's going to work out. Um, we have, we, especially with kids, you know, there's certain things you want to go through with kids. And I want to see, see this happen. I want to see, I want to see my boys grow up and, and marry good women. And, and I want to be able to have grandkids and all these things. And those, those are great things. So it's like, there's that struggle. And that's normal. Um, but we can either either way have great hope. Jeremy, something that's been a comfort for me because I, of course, Courtney's my granddaughter, so we do kind of have the same thinking about stuff. But when I would think about, oh my word, I can't even go up a hill and come down without losing my stomach. So um, I don't know how we'll ever, how, except you're going to do it. So the, I think what he comforted me with the most is, I'm going to be right there. You're going to be with me personally forevermore, never to be separated. And I'm going, okay, that's, that's what I want. It's a person. And then I'll go look at the things. But, but to know that somebody I've known here 
I'm gonna know there, and he's in charge. Yeah. And that's such a great piece to me. The um, let's see if I find it here real quickly. Sometimes you can use a different Bible. Your eyes don't don't land on the, the uh, verse. But the oh, it helped me if I was in the right book. <laughs> it's no wonder I can't find it. That's so funny. Um, so we all we're very familiar with with Lamentations three twenty two um, and twenty three. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. We're very familiar with that. Read the whole chapter. Jeremiah is like, why, Lord? Why is all of this happening? How, how can you be allowing this to happen? He's, it's this cry out and this almost complaint. It, the book is called Lamentations for a reason. We, we, the one verse we have memorized is, is Lamentations 3.22. It's like, why is that book called Lamentations? That doesn't sound like a lament. But he's going on and on and just like weeping and like, what is going on? And then he says in verse 21, which I think is so important for us to remember for 22 and following, <clears throat> but this I call to mind and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. <coughs> and that's, that's just been on my mind a lot lately. Uh, I don't, for no particular reason, but it's, it's just this beautiful, this beautiful picture of where it, the kind of the already not yet of our lives. We are, we are waiting uh, for the Lord to come and we still have um, pain and suffering and whether, whether you have a great hope or a weak hope, you say, but this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. Okay, I'm getting preaching. Um, let's go to the denial in, from Article 14. We deny that the glorified, resurrected body of Jesus Christ was a wholly different body from the one that was laid in the garden tomb. I know I've heard preaching that <clears throat> we can sometimes take the picture of the disciples gathered in the locked room and Christ shows up and build a whole, I've heard pastors build a whole theology of the glorified body over that one passage. Like, no, don't fall for that trap. You can't, we don't know how he got in the room. That's not super important. That's, and we really should build an entire theology based on how he got into the room. Jesus Christ has the, right now, seated and throned on high is the same body that hung on the cross. I have a question. Yeah. Um, so Jesus is resurrected and then he says, look at my hands and look at my side. He still mm -hmm. has the scars. Yep. But I think most people would say, like, in heaven, our bodies will be perfected. So, like, someone who's born with no leg right. probably will have a leg in heaven. Yeah. How do both of those things <coughs> mm -hmm. um, be true at the same time? Yeah. That's a good question. I don't have a great answer okay. for it. Um, <laughs> I don't know if there was, like, a, yeah. a my, theological term that explained yeah. that or what. There might be. Okay. My, my uh, simple answer as I've thought about that is there's a necessity for us to see the wounds of our Savior, to see the lamb standing as if slain. There's not a necessity for me to be in heaven with all the frailties that I adopted from my, my sinful heritage. Um, I think I will, <coughs> a lot of this is speculation. <laughs> I think I will pretty much look kind of somewhat like I look now. And somehow the, the sinfulness of the generations will be, done away with, and I will have my, my new resurrected glorified body. But I think I will very much look like me. Without the glasses. Without the, 
Jeff, that's an ex- excellent point. Without the glasses, I won't need glasses because. See, but we without glasses, it doesn't look right. <laughs> that's, right. Oh, yeah, that's, that's not Jeremy. You can use those big ones like that. Yeah. Like, I'll be looking for Jeremy. He's like, no glasses. I don't know where he is. <laughs> it's me, Devin. Who's that guy with me? Just smile. Yeah. It worked for Superman. Oh, yeah. I'd play sight. <laughs> Yeah, but that's the you know that's the beauty of he shows Thomas his wounds. Nothing has changed. Um, we we will see the Lamb as if slain in heaven, um, and and see the the scars that are the the picture of the healing that Isaiah uh, spoke spoke about. Uh, the second part of the denial: we deny that our resurrection is merely a resurrection of our spirits apart from our bodies. I talked about this already, um, but we do believe because because of the first fruits of our resurrected Savior, we believe that we too will be resurrected. This is this is the promise of Scripture. It is not merely a spiritual resurrection; it is a bodily resurrection. We have that hope, and um, men throughout the years having just a difficult time believing in a actual resurrection of Christ. And we'll also teach, well, if Christ didn't actually resurrect, then why would we actually resurrect? And like, that doesn't make sense for the one that happens. Like, okay, but as Paul argues, it's a historical fact. Like, I don't, I know you're, you're now almost, for us, we can read Paul and say, yeah, we're almost 2,000 years removed. But it, it was a historical fact. We open up our history books and we can read letters that were uh, correspondence and say, okay, these things all line up. This we can have confidence that this historical fact is true, even though I am centuries removed from it. Well, that's us reading First Corinthians fifteen. Paul is saying, this is his historical fact. You can go find eyewitnesses right now that will tell you we saw him die on the cross. We saw the spear plunge into his side. And then we saw him on Sunday alive. We, we, this is the whole picture of the, the different resurrections event. And resurrection events, he sits down and eats with the disciples. There's opportunity to interact with him. It's like he was a real physical person, body. Um, and we, we get to enjoy that same thing. Moving on, uh, as always, we spend most of our time on the first article. Uh, Article 15, we affirm that Jesus Christ ascended to his heavenly throne at the right hand of God the Father, that he is presently reigning as king, and that he will return visibly in power and glory. We deny that Jesus Christ was mistaken about the timing of his return. We've already talked about some of that. What about the denial? I'm going to talk about some of this in in church this morning. We deny... We deny that Jesus Christ was mistaken about the time of his return. What might that be about? I didn't have time to look up kind of uh, historical teachings on it, but I think we can kind of muddle through it just with our own. Is it in reference to him saying, like, this generation will pass away before these things will come to pass? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So some of that um, we'll see, I think, yeah, in Article 17, AD 70 mentioned, uh, when the temple's destroyed, and this is where um, what would be called uh, partial preterists believe that there was a type of coming back in AD 70, um, uh, where the, the religious system of the Jews was judged and done away with once and for all. Like the, the temple, when, when Christ died, the symbol of the, of the veil being torn in two is one thing. And then in 8070, it's the, no, you are, you're, you're not even going to have a temple to go to anymore. It's done. You don't need that anymore. You've missed your Savior. So good men like R.C. Sproul actually held, uh, hold, held I don't know what he holds to now. I wish I knew. (laughs) 
that was that would clear up so much. Um, but what what he held to was this partial preterist view of of a picture of his final coming, uh, kind of given in AD seventy. But his actual full return that we talk about when we talk about his second advent, his second coming, that hasn't happened yet. He's he has is he's not mistaken about it. Uh, I mean that would that would first kind of throw off everything we've talked about so far about who Christ is for him to be uh, mistaken. He's you know I think of um, the the many people who have published books about the date of Christ's return, and that date comes and goes, and they pub it's like a, it's a, it's a great scheme because you publish a book, everyone consumes it, it's like oh he's coming back, and when he doesn't come back. You say, my calculations were wrong, and you publish a new book. And everyone gobbles that up. It's kind of weird. I don't know how long that cycle can continue, but it does. We don't know the date of his return. The Bible is very clear about that. He wasn't mistaken. We can be confident um, in his uh, return. I'm gonna, in our, if I get to it this morning in the sermon, I'm going to read some of 2 Peter. Have that. We hear can be very like, okay, Lord, when are you going to come back? Hasn't it been long enough? He says, remember, one day is a thousand, as if a thousand years and a thousand years is one day with the Lord. He is patient, not, not wanting any to perish. You are his people. Patiently wait. And don't just wait. Be faithful in the Great Commission. You know, move forward in the earth. It's interesting, too, because I feel like Scripture also, it's like you don't know when he's coming, but it also will be incredibly, I think, obvious mm-hmm. when he finally Yes. Comes. You know what I mean? There's it's not like, going to be any doubt. Yeah. 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 This is probably you could use, if I knew my you know, history better, you could look at some of the um, early messiahs that came around Jesus' coming, first coming, his first advent. And Jesus comes and you read the story of his life. It's like, that's him. That's the son of God. This is, you know, you, you hear his disciples use this language. We have found the one that Moses and the prophets have, ta- have promised. This is it. There's no doubt. And his second coming, I think uh, scripture uses that language, like globally, I think there's, there's going to be, I mean, we, bam. It's going to be a wonderful thing. There's no, no doubt. There, there'll never be for us, as, especially as believers, someone, you know, someone comes and says, you know, I'm, I'm Christ. You're like, yeah. yeah, we can know right away. No, no, I'll know. Um, okay. Let's see. Article 16. We affirm that Jesus Christ poured out his spirit on the body of Pentecost. Did I say deny or affirm? We affirm that Jesus Christ poured out his spirit on on the day of Pentecost and that in his present session, he is reigning over all things, interceding for his people and building his church of which he is the only head. We deny that Jesus Christ appointed the Bishop of Rome as his vicar and that, that any person other than Jesus Christ can be the church's head. I think we all in this firmly Protestant church uh, don't even... Have to argue about that very much. Yes, we there. There is no man who stands in Christ's place. It would be. It's very again. This goes back to our struggle and our weakness of faith. Yes, would it be easy to kind of appoint, as the Roman Romanists have done, a, a physical man to say, "Hey, tell us what we should believe. Give us instruction," because we don't see Jesus Christ sitting enthroned on high interceding for us at this very moment. What's the language it uses? Um, he's reigning over all things, interceding for his people and building his church of which he is the only head. He is active. Jesus Christ is active in the church, accomplishing his perfect will in with his bride. We don't need a Pope in Rome to tell us that. Um, I, I The more and more I look at the passage where Christ tells Peter that on this uh, on this name I will I will build my church. The more I look at that, I think it's 
that he's saying, on this confession that you have made, this confession of faith, my church is built up. Because like you have confessed that, you, that I am the, the son of God, that is the confession of faith that my church is built up on. Peter was not the first, the first pope. Um, you can, practically speaking, you can see that play out because was Peter the head of the church in Jerusalem? Who seems to be the head in the church of Jerusalem? If, there's a head, if there was a head... James. Like, if they saw his lang- the language of like, okay, Peter's supposed to be the Pope, the, the, the vicar of the church, then why is James the one who is, who's overseeing the Jerusalem Council who's, who's organizing these things? Okay, uh, last. Yeah. Vicar, vicar is a word that initially comes from Latin, vicarius, which is substitute. Hmm. Um, there is no mediator between God and man, but the man Christ Jesus. Yeah. Amen. Uh, article 17. We affirm that Jesus Christ will come again in glory to judge all people and will finally vanquish all his enemies, destroy death, and usher in the new heaven and the new earth in which he will reign in righteousness. Uh, we haven't been reading the passages very much. Uh, look down at the bottom of the page. Someone read um, Acts 10.42. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be judge of the living and the dead. Very good. Um, the passage that pops to mind here, I think as we... Uh, I think, understandably so, grow impatient. Um, We need to remember that he is the judge. He will come back uh, to judge the living and the dead. And uh, Paul, Romans 12, uh, live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to and to what is honorable in the sight of all, if possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink, for by so doing you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. We are... As the, as the bride of Christ are given, I think this kind of, again, stems out of the Great Commission. We are given this commission to go out into all the world to pray for our enemies, to pray for our leaders, to pray for those who persecute us, to do, to do good to them because we are, we are gospel emissaries. We, we are, uh, you know, the, the Christians, uh, were, the church was first called Christians, where? Antioch. Antioch. I live in Antioch. Whenever whenever we read this with the boys, it's like, Antioch, not our Antioch. But, you know, that's kind of a derogatory term, little Christ. And guess what? They embraced it. Like, that sounds great to us. You can call us little Christ. We are supposed to be little Christ going out into the world and realizing the depths and depravity of our own sinfulness. We should be, that we should embrace the mystery and wonder how could God save me so why would I not then go and share the good news of Jesus Christ even with the person that in my estimation I think is worse than me because I really shouldn't think that should I so we have this this gospel call to go out and gospelize evangelize the world around us God says I know you're hurting I know like the psalmist, you cry out, Lord, why do the, do the wicked prosper and the righteous suffer? He said, but I'm coming. I'm coming and I will judge the living and the dead. Vengeance is mine. I will repay. Um, and the, the last uh, denial there, we deny that the final return of Jesus Christ took place in AD 70 
and that his coming and its attendant events are to be viewed as and that his coming and its attendant events are to be viewed as symbolic. Again, so that's a denial of what would be the full preterist view, which says Christ did come in AD 70, and now we're not looking forward to another coming because it happened. And it's like, oh no, that would be <laughs> that would be awful. <laughs> because then I really would be questioning the, how, how did he conquer sin and death? Mm-hmm. Like, um, that's really concerning to me. That's not what the Bible teaches. Um, and it says, and that his coming and its attendant events are to be viewed as symbolic, just as real as his resurrection, just as real as the gathering of his disciples, watching him ascend bodily in the cloud, he will come again. I mean, that's exactly what happens, right? They're standing there like this. I wonder how long. I, I mean, in a sense, I kind of get this picture that it's like a little while. Like they're standing there like, now what? And the angels come down and says, what are you looking up into heaven for? Get about doing what he told you to do. He will come again. Just as you saw him raise up in the clouds, he is coming again. We have no doubt that it just is as real as uh, his, his birth that we've been talking about during this Advent season, as real as his death on the cross, his, his body being buried in the grave, his resurrection that Paul calls a fact of history that had eyewitnesses during that day. The fact of his ascension, he will return bodily to judge the living and the dead, and we can have good, we can have confidence in that. Any other any other thoughts or questions before yes, we wrap question. up? Yeah. We affirm that Jesus Christ will come again in glory to judge all people. Our judgment was at the cross. Is that yes. Mm-hmm. So we won't be judged. That there is a judgment is, for believers. Yes. I'm sorry. There is a judgment for believers, but it's it's a judgment unto life. Right. All right. We're not talking about a penal judgment that will be for for the non-believers. There's two different judgments. Okay. Yeah. The. Uh, read something here. Is that to give an account of our our actions or our life since we believe that judgment? It's it's what's known as the Bema seat judgment. It's It's the reward seat. Yeah. So, but what about okay, when you We will give an account for every idle word. Yes. (laughs) I mean, all of that is true. But none, none of that for believers will be uh, uh, a penalty. Yeah, because the penalty was paid fully by Christ. This is, you know, some people. I again, I'm not gonna. I don't want to. I don't want to build any theology where we need to be very careful. But you know, some people have pictured this as like a big movie screen. Mm. It's gonna play your life. And you know, my my comment is, even if that were the case. Yeah. Guess what? It's not going to tell me or anyone else what I don't already know. I don't deserve to be in God's good graces apart from Jesus Christ, the Lamb. So even if I stand there in shame, it's kind kind of like Isaiah, right? Fall on his face. Lord, I'm a man of unclean lips. Well, guess what? You're right. And I'm going to cleanse you. And you have been cleansed. You have been washed. You have been sanctified. Um, Revelation 20 says, And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them, and they were judged, each of them according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if, and this is the verse that's just so important for us because it's not a final justification. It's like, okay, now let's actually see if your faith was real. 
It says, and if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. What's the opposite of that? If it is in there, you live eternally. If it is in the book of life, it's written. It is written. It's done. And it's not based on any righteousness of my own, but the righteousness of Jesus Christ. My substitute, my vicar. Anything else? Okay. Let's pray and uh, we can collect kids and move on down. Father, uh, it, is, it is so good to look at these things. Uh, we are reminded as we dig into your word, your goodness, uh, the, the newness of your mercies every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. Father, I, it's one of the reasons I, I look forward to being in your word because I'm, I'm reminded of your faithfulness. I'm reminded of your steadfast love. And I uh, can know that I'm safe in Christ. Father, I pray that you would help us to take these truths, um, to carry them with us, to meditate upon them, Help them not to be simply a um, something that we file away on the, the bookshelves of our mind as, as mere knowledge, but help them to be something that actually changes us, uh, that draws us to, to worship you, um, how you uh, ought to be worshipped, how you've told us to worship you, that, that draws us to uh, love those around us, uh, to, min- to be ministers of the gospel uh, to, the, to a fallen world. Help us to be a people of great hope, even even in our doubts that we um, have. Still, we can remember, great is thy faithfulness. We just, uh, I pray for the service ahead. Pray that you would um, just help us as we gather together to enjoy um, just seeing your church, the bride, gathered to worship on um, the Lord's day, the day that uh, your son was raised from the dead that we have a great hope. Um, and uh, just, I, I pray that you'd be with me as I bring the sermon this morning. Um, help me uh, to, to speak uh, your words and not my own. Uh, strengthen um, my own frailties uh, to be able to serve you. Uh, and I just pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.